Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hi, I'm Jonathan Bowman-Perks and welcome back to my favourite time of the week. And I'm really honoured to have an old friend of mine who we trained back doing airborne training, P Company, Lieutenant General James Bashel, CB, CBE. And James has had a very successful career. Um, he's, uh, in his early days, he was commanding officer of two para. Um, he's been a brigade commander, one brigade. He's been a divisional commander, and he's been the commander of uh, Home Command, which is one of the Army Board roles. And now he's advising uh, boards and teams uh, in business. He's left the Army, just finished uh, selling one of the really challenging legs um, in the Clipper race around the world. Uh, he did a leg of that for about four weeks. Uh, and also he's the president of the Royal British Legion, among many things he does, uh, as well as sailing and looking after the PT Corps as their Colonel Commandant. James, welcome. Well, Great having you on the series. Um, so uh, tell us a bit about um, sort of what you're currently doing now and, and, and how you sort of ended off your army career, the sort of leadership bits you took with you. So I've looked to try and establish a better balance in my life beyond the military. I work for myself, set my own company up. As you say, I advise various companies. I'm very privileged to be invited to go onto boards and talk to people about what they do and where I can help, which I find fascinating. I think the commercial world is very interesting. Um, as you say, I still I want to give something back. So I have a charity job with the Royal British Legion as a president, which is a great privilege, very humble to be invited to do that. Mm. And then I got my own personal things I want to do. And you've talked about sailing, which is yeah. something I, I enjoy. I'm still the Admiral of the Army Sailing Association. So again, another charity trying to help young soldiers, encourage them on the water and develop them. And, I, and just a bit more time with my family. Yeah. Um, my keeping mother. fit and healthy, keeping I see. Fit. Well, <laughs> it's, it's a battle. But yeah. uh, the PT Corps have been fantastic. They've taught me about junk miles and don't go jogging anymore. And look after your, your health and as you say as we were talking about perhaps sleep and yeah. eat the right things and yeah. less of alcohol and all that I mean I try and live by that but it's not always easy <laughs> well, we chat about that in, in yeah. the, uh, the second part for the podcast and, and when you look back over people who've influenced you and inspired mm. you who would be a couple of people you'd pick out and what were their qualities that you thought were inspiring as leaders yeah, that's a great question because I have thought about this and it's interesting how you try and shape in your own mind who's, who's shaped you and, and how you've had been influenced by people. I mean, when I left the staff college after you and I last served together, I was the military assistant to the Commander Field Army and I worked for three very interesting men. The first was General Richard Swinburne, who very sadly has died recently, but he was a very old-fashioned cavalry officer and didn't have a lot of operational experience, but he was meticulous with his people management. I learned a lot about how to manage people from him. Uh, perhaps sort of through osmosis rather than him teaching me, but I watched the way he did his MS, as we used to call it in the military, his report writing. Uh, and he really cared about it and did it well. And he also had a lovely touch with people. He really, he generally, he didn't always show it, but he really looked after people who, who uh, around him. And then I had, uh, and then I worked for, for General Mike Rose. Yeah. Who literally just come back from Bosnia. 
I was very much the man. An moment. SAS warrior. Wasn't yeah, he? I mean, he'd, I mean, he'd done a huge amount of soldiering. Uh, very interesting, and I learned a lot from him about operational soldiering. He was, he has some great stories, uh, and how to deal with the stress of operational soldiering. And then I worked for Hugh Pike, yeah. General Sir Hugh Pike, who I admire enormously, and who was very kind to me. Uh, and we spent probably 18 months traveling around together in helicopters around the world, actually, because he was a Middle East advisor. And I learned a lot from him about, I think, just a whole range of the military and what the military is, how it works, just he saw the bigger picture. Mm. He was very good at training, very into the training. He was very good with people. Uh, he used a very inspired the way he used to talk to big groups of soldiers. Yeah. And he also used to make it look effortless. Yeah. And you sort of try and think, well, I'd like to be able to have the confidence to talk to a large group of men and women like that without sort of being too nervous. Yeah, but it is great, I think, to work with good people. Yes. I, I, I yeah. was lucky even in my short uh, 20 years to have some good leaders to, that I looked to and also some that I thought, perhaps I wouldn't do it that way. But yeah. and, and yeah. you, you talked about that with some of the generals and the leaders you met, one or two, you wouldn't do it their way, yeah. but, but that's good. And then, um, you know, because of course you learn what works and what doesn't. In your own life, we were talking earlier about, you know, we're learning all the time. We, we make mistakes, even at any grand mm. ranks mm. that we're at. Um, but more recently, uh, tell us a story about when you got something wrong in your sailing when you were you know, on the, the clipper race. I think, well, I, I do think it's a general lesson that one of the things that, you know, people in high positions uh, can get overconfident. I'm not saying I was in a high position when I was on the yacht, but I was, uh, it was watch changeover. I came up on, I came up on deck and they said, right, we want, you know, it's, it's, the weather's quite difficult. We need competent people on, on the helm. So I'll, I'll go. And, um, and actually I wasn't competent enough and I had too much confidence. I thought I could do it. And in the dark uh, and in difficult weather, we had what's called an accidental jibe, uh, which means the wind got the wrong side of the sail. Uh, we had, lines called preventers to try and just prevent too much damage. But nonetheless, it was embarrassing that the yacht came to a halt. Everyone got thrown out the bunks down below deck. Oh, literally the whole thing was... Yeah, literally, yeah. yeah uh, who's on the helm? You know, <laughs> bash off, you know, get a grip. Uh, and I had to hand over to someone else because I recognised I was beyond my competency in where yeah. I was. And I, it's a small thing. I felt, you know, they're very, everyone's very good about it. I, but I, I just thought, right, just be careful about what you think you can do. And I, and I think if, if I try and transpose that to a leadership situation, I would say, you know, just be, be careful not to be overconfident. You know? yeah. And that's why I feel I made mistakes. Like you get too confident about your own ability. Yeah. Humility is a really important thing to keep. hundred percent, hundred percent. And you need people to tell you and yeah. talk to you and make sure that you, you stay very grounded. Yeah. Because, that, and this is where um, the whole system in business, which is so good. And I do obviously with the leaders of 360 feedback. Mm. Yes. Just before this session, I was doing a 360 feedback from someone about a leader. What are their strengths? What, are, what situations bring out the best in them? What Where do they need to develop? Because they're good already, yeah, but what yeah. will make them even better? And what situations bring out the worst in them? And if mm. there was one behavior, visible behavior they could work on, what would it mm. be? And that's really good. And I, I think it was great meeting Paul Nansen and talking yeah. with him, because he's saying now he's gone out and got a master's degree in executive coaching. Yeah. You know, the commandant of Santos. You know, mm -hmm. this is this is the military are now very much up to speed with the importance of coaching, of mm -hmm. mentoring, of 360. And so getting 360, which we when you and I were doing mm -hmm. P Company again, we never yeah. got 360. We just sure. blindly carried on doing what we did or learnt from each other. But now people are much more open to it, aren't they? Well, and and it was introduced, and we introduced it to the generalship course, we introduced it to a number of courses in the military, in the army. 
And I think it's one of the invaluable mm. tools you have as a leader to have people be honest about you yeah. and to you to reflect on that. It's not, we must never use it as an assessment tool. It's just something that's there for you personally to help you. Uh, and I always say to people, don't, don't try and be something you're not. Yeah. Do you know, we're, we're all our own people and we're all very individu individualistic. But don't try and change and take on a, a, you know, a different persona. A mask. But understand, however, how it is others see you. Yeah. And I think that's so important. People understand and then, and then know that at times you, you appear casual or at times you appear aggressive. Uh, and then you sort of you get a, a good sense of how to play yourself in a, in a, in a, as, as a leader in a team environment. Great advice. Mm. James, thank you very much indeed. Well, it's been great having you on great the show. Great to see you again. No, yeah. really, really good. And, um, you know, lots of wisdom and experience that you can share. And people love love hearing that. And well, well thank you for what you're doing. So I think, you know, the podcasts have gone down very well. I think it would be very hugely beneficial to a lot of military leaders, um, okay. you know, to just ponder and think about the, the good tips that you'll bring out from all these worthy people you have on your show, apart <laughs> from myself. Thank you, James. Thank you very much. Hello, I'm Jonathan Bowman Perks, and welcome back to Inspiring Leadership Extra, where General James Bashel and I are carrying on our conversation about lessons about leadership, his life, and his experiences. James, welcome back. Thank you, Jonathan. Yeah. Um, I was interested to just go back to your, your early childhood mm. um, and uh, you know, your, your late father and, and your, your mother and people you're with. Mm. Who, who sort of shaped you and what happened? You know, did you have a, quite a, a lucky, quite a privileged lifestyle, or was it a harder one, or what went on for you? Yes, I think I had a very privileged background, uh, private education, lived in a lovely home, I never wanted for anything. So yeah. I think I was, I was very spoiled. I think one of the things my father taught me, uh, which I... What did your father do? What my was father was, he, didn't, he, he, he left school and did national service and fought the trend because all my uncles had been in the army and joined the Air Force right. and learned to fly. And then he stayed in the Air Force for longer than his national service. In fact, he did 12 years, I think, in the Royal Air Force, and then wanted to stay flying, so then left the Air Force and joined the airlines. All right, and yeah. he finished off as a training captain of British Airways, so oh, yeah. he had a lot of flying experience. But he was a very practical man. Uh, he, you know, one of the early things I remember sort of changing engines on minis and taught me how the engines work, you know, those sort of practical things. Yeah. And, uh, but he, he had a lovely touch with everybody, and I think that was something I learned from him. He, he could, he could chat to local people as easily as he could chat to senior executives in British Airways. Yeah. And I always admired that ability to find a common touch with people, or a common, not, not so I have a common touch, but I have a common uh, issue or, yeah. or, or thing. Interest. That, yeah, or yeah, yeah, interest and just you know, to, to choose the right things to discuss and yeah. the, the right people. Yeah. And I, I think that's something that's always sort of stuck probably subconsciously in my mind. Yeah. And when you were at, um, you know, at public school in Marlborough, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is a very good school, mm. I mean, were there good role models for you and some bad role models and bullies and that kind of stuff? What yeah, definitely. The whole, whole, whole plethora of, of exactly as you say, you know, older boys who perhaps, particularly in those days when you're going through your teenage years, some people grow physically more quickly. More, and then, you know, and so, so your size matters in, turn, in a fight. Yeah. more than it does when you grow up. A bit, Were you yeah. luckily bigger than the others? No, it? not necessarily, actually. <laughs> Probably yeah. the opposite. Yeah. But not necessarily, you know, and so there were the whole, your whole range of, of characters in, yeah. a, in, a, in a school environment and some very good teachers and some not so good teachers yeah. and people who inspire you to want to work hard. And, and so I think you, you learn from that how 
how to inspire others. Yeah. Because you can see good and bad. Yeah. And, and you can see, well, that's, that's not a good way. That is a good way. I was talking to one of the other leaders on one of the podcasts, and we would, uh, I was talking about they were at boarding school like you and I were, and, and how there was a book called The Making of Them by Nick Duffel, right. which is about how it can be quite good, but also there's some pretty bad experiences that people have had which shape them in a bad way throughout the whole of their life, and a lot of them go into business and the like, yeah. and quite scarred by the experiences they've had. Which really? Is, at school? Yeah, yeah, at school, particularly in the, in the sort of public school environment. Yeah. Like, and the, this French guy, and he said, you British? He said, do you, do you hate your children? Why do you send them yeah. to prison? What have they, they done? <laughs> So, uh, yeah. okay, after oh, yeah. school, did you then go straight to the uh, army? I, no, I, I had a year out, um, travelled, and then I went to university. Did you learn much of that travelling? Yeah, like I, think I, I th- in my gap year, I got, I certainly physically, I grew a lot, much stronger, more self-confident, because I was on my own. I was in Australia, uh, very isolated from everything I had up to then, complete change. So I, I, I was much more confident, I think, yeah. after that experience. I then had a fantastic three years uh, at London University reading history. All right, and then I it, and, and that's kept your interest in military history, has definitely. It? Uh, yeah, absolutely, and I enjoyed oh, that with medieval history mainly. Yeah, but I uh, made some great friends at university who are still very close friends, and was just you know, and at that stage thought, right, I'll do three years in the army after university. I'll get it out of my system because I wanted yeah. a challenge. I want to do something different, and then I'll go and have a grown-up job, and I'll use my history degree as a balance, and we'll, mm-hmm. life will work out. But. Yeah, and then and then, quite well, and then we met each other on P Company. Yes, and and you that was your second time around. It was, like yeah, Tim did yeah, his second time yeah, around at selection. Yeah, yeah. What did you learn from having to do it twice? Cause, I mean, that's hard. Doing it, 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 once, it was. I had a week off and did, did the whole thing again. Oh, just a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I was uh, well. No, I didn't. I just learned that the log race is very painful. Yeah. Uh, and a number of people had you know we were recycling some minor injuries. I mean, I, I was hurt slightly, but nothing. I, you know, and I in the in the week I had off, I was. You know, I was really uh, you know, trying to eat as much as I could, trying to just rebuild my strength to go again. Because some of the events, like, you know, you probably found some of the easy and some of the more difficult. I mean, I, I, my thing is I hate heights. Yeah. And okay. I'd only done it as a dare with a friend. I yeah. bet you couldn't. Yeah, okay, I'll go and do it. And um, I think I've been serving with the Scots Guards at the time. Yeah. I went back to the Scots Guards, uh, 2nd Battalion in Cyprus. But I, I found the being up on the, the, the shuffling bars at yeah. 40, 60 feet or whatever really scary. Because looking back, we had no harnesses, yeah. no yeah. safety net. Yeah. No, no, and, and, and then that jump across the thing, I st- it still sticks yeah, yeah. in my mind now, yeah. that jump from one plank to the yeah. other, four feet out, four feet down. And now if you give me four feet, you put a plank at four feet and jump onto the ground, I could easily do that. Mm. But up there at 40 feet, I just mm. saw the two guys ahead of me bottle it. Mm. And, and, and I was about to bottle it. The first chance I got, I bottled it. And the second chance, I just thought, focus on not on the gap and killing myself, but mm. on the plank. And I landed about three feet down the plank. It was, <laughs> it was very close. But yeah, yeah. I think it, it was for me, and, and I mean, you began your career in that. It's a very shaping experience. So yeah. you, you went into what I consider to be, you know, for a start off, hardest part of the army, going to mm. some of the airborne bit, the paras. Mm. So, so tell us, take us from there. Where, where you, were, you went to three para to begin went with? Went to three para, yeah. Had a, 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 you know, quite a brutal introduction. I mean, I, I, Weren't the NCOs quite tough? Very tough. And, you know, if you, and I say this to young people now who join battalions after they've, battalions come back from Helmand. You know, I joined the three para shortly after the Falklands War. Yes. You know, my company sergeant major had won a Distinguished Conduct Medal. Great acts of bravery and leadership on Mount Longdon. Yeah. Um, my adjutant... David Lee had been very badly burnt actually in Northern Ireland and was, was I mean, it was like Simon Weston, hugely yeah. scarred yeah. from that. My CO had won a military cross at Goose Green. 
you know, you're uh, Dave Farrah Hockley. Oh, right, so yeah. you're going into a, into a warrior environment, uh, having come from, as I said, a sort of public school, <laughs> university background. Uh, and Dare actually has been very kind to me in the years, when, and and he's. Uh, and because I got in quite a lot of trouble early on. Well, and, what happened? Well, I, I just, it was, <laughs> just things happened, Jonathan, you know, <laughs> drinking not largely. And, and he shouted at me and gave me some you know, severe telling off. And, and he's since said, you, you know, I, I was at straight out of, you know, I was, I was, I was not in the right mould. I was not cast in the right mould uh, to be a warrior amongst these, you know, these, these fine people. And I think the only thing he said that hurt me, so I, I, he doesn't think I was... I was Paying enough attention, looking after my soldiers, which I thought was unfair. But but anyway, nonetheless, uh, that was a very yeah. uh, brutal start because you were you're in and hard exercises. I mean, really hard exercises. Those airborne exercises we used to do back then were were, were tough. They were merciless, weren't they? But they yeah, they just. I mean, he just peek at me. There was no. Well, it, I, it I, I remember, always remember talking to a corporal who'd served on Mount Longdon, and 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 I, I said, "How was the Falklands? You're incredible what you did." He said, "Yeah, I've done much harder exercises." Oh, wow, gosh, you've done harder exercise than that, maybe. Yeah, is that so, back to the sort of train hard, fight easy? Yeah, definitely. I think, and, and I think those, those early years shaped me. I had, I had a wonderful platoon sergeant called Jimmy Moran who, who restored uh, a lot of faith that, I, that I'd sort of slightly lost, I think, I suppose, when I started off. And he, he was a great enthusiast. And we used to do some crazy things together. You know, I mean, highly elite. Like, well, all right. I'm not going. I, think I, should, <laughs> I shouldn't. I shouldn't. I shouldn't put them down on tape. But uh, and then and then also, that, I mean, that it was all the shot had a reputation for being a, an army town. It was there were army pubs downtown. Yeah. And, and I it know, was seen. I mean, one of the things I very flatteringly met with. Who is the edge of the sword? Your colonel commandant of the Paras. Well, that's that was Dare Farrahockley's father, Anthony yeah. Farrahockley. I met Anthony yes. Farrahockley to, and he offered me a place in Three Para, right? Which is very nice to, yeah. to transfer from. But yeah. I lost my nerve. I thought yeah. I, I'm not tough enough. I'm not macho enough. Yeah. And at that time, it was a very macho, brutal. I think it still is a fighting I mean, it, it is a still, but but it probably a, would have been a useless power officer. Well, I don't. I've been. I think people thought I'd be a pretty useless power officer, you know, uh, but. Uh, I, you know, I enjoyed the environment. I loved it. I loved the camaraderie. I loved sharing hardship. And then we would go and drink downtown as a platoon, you know, which you know, we thought was very frowned upon. Uh, and and we, had, we were very, very close. You know, we yeah. formed very strong bonds. And I think that's what kept me in the military. Jimmy Morham, you know, saw something in me and helped me and yeah. taught me how to do... Uh, you know, t- taught me how to look after young soldiers. Really, he, 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 he... well, we also we also had a good a good mate of ours, Dave Hudson. Yeah, yeah, who yeah. was another peer of ours. Did Pete come with us? Yeah. Of course, Dave went on to with the Royal Engineers to be with the Engineer Paras, and then to do uh, Hereford yeah, as well. Yes, yes, and yes, a very yeah. fine officer. Yeah, uh, and he's going to be on the podcast. We're going to have a podcast with him soon because. I learned a lot from him, but it was nice to have the kind of people around you yeah. like that. And, and to inspire you and shape you and see what could be done. And then from that, you then, you slowly start to learn and you start, so I enjoyed the camaraderie, I enjoyed the spirit of what it was, and that's what kept me in. And also you learned about the, the yeah. mind games, because yeah. if you remember when we were doing like that march they took us on, where it was a 10 mile or something, yeah. and we came back into the camp and yeah. people were just hanging in. Yeah. And the instructor said to you and I and the others, yeah. right, we're yeah. going out again. Yeah. And, and we turned around and we went off again. Yeah. Now, at that stage, about 10 dropped out. Yeah. But it was a mind game. Absolutely. A complete mind game. But because we only went a mile and then they brought, brought us back, back in. in but we were, you know. So I think, I see, so, so you learn your trade, really. And that's, and that's what you do as a young officer. And if you, and if you enjoy the way of life, which I did, that's why, why I stayed. And, and I said people, you know, Jimmy was a great coach, as was John Pettinger, who was my company sergeant major. I had a very good friend, James Chiswell, who also was, you know, had been a 
bit before me. He was very helpful to me. And so I had to, to point you in the right direction, to so stop doing stupid things, to grow up a bit. Yeah. And um, not just behaviour, but just, you know, just your performance in the field. Yeah. Um, and I went on the platoon commander's battle course and did very well at that. And that yeah. sort of, you know, helped, again, helped my confidence, confidence grow yeah. further. Um, and then, yeah, then I suppose, yeah. And, and, and so, so then, uh, later in your career, you were adjutant of Tupara? Tupara, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, commanded a company? I commanded, yeah, I commanded a company. Did you have operational Northern Ireland? So, so when I commanded a company, it was just, so I just finished that MA job. So it was, it was oh. my, you know, so I was, I was, I took over the company in Northern Ireland. Yeah. And then we went back to Northern Ireland to do another tour. So I did two yeah. and a half years as a company commander. I'm glad I did. Long, I, say, I, I always say to people, people ask, what's the best job you've ever done? I say, it's company commander. Yeah. It's the last time in the army that you know everyone's name. Yeah. And also you know them as human beings, yeah. as individuals. Yeah. And I love to be company two para. And it's funny how many people still keep in touch with me from those B company days. Really? More than, almost more than two para as a, as a two, CO. Yeah. Uh, B company two para was very special. And we did a... Uh, those two tours, but we did a huge amount of other things. You know. What did you do to make your company special? Because I, I, you know, talking with Chris Wakely earlier, you know, with his signal squadron, and he had yeah. John Kisley as his um, brigade commander yeah. when he was yeah. the, the Seven Armour Brigade headquarters and signal squad. And you know, people said you're going to get eaten alive, but he, he worked together with Kisley and the staff, and they had a really good time. I imagine you would have created a really camaraderie among your company of 140 men? No, no, it's but, but just no, probably under 100, actually. Is it? Because yeah, power companies are quite small. Yeah, where they quite can small. Be. yeah we are always on demand. Um, what, what did you do to create So special? I think I, well, there were two things, really. First of all, when I've been a young officer, I always remember I was, I was, we were travelling back from an exercise. We were on an aircraft, and we had to shout above it the noise. And this guy called, oh gosh, I can't remember, Muddy, obviously. So anyway, Muddy was, he, and he... And he, he I, he said, it's always the same exercise. The exercise we do are boring. We never do anything different. You know, you jump in, you tab, you're doing it, you come out. And I said, okay, so what would you do to make it better? And he wrote a whole list of things down to, to, you know, to make, make it interesting for the soldiers. And then I, I, and then I you know, as I said, you start to, you start, as you start to grow up and think about soldiering, you know, that for the soldiers to come back into the camp, and we live in a grotty camp. Oh, did you do what Muddy suggested? I did, absolutely. I'll tell you right. about it. So, so, so we, it, grotty camp in Aldershot, and you, you may have been up there, but it was, yeah. it was, it was, it was, it was we didn't pay anything for it because it was field, you know, It was ghastly. It was all falling apart. Concrete, horrible. But anyway, so for the soldiers to come back each week on a Monday morning, they've got to look forward to something that's going to happen in their life. They've got to think, well, I'm looking forward to going back to work on a Monday. And so I used to challenge my platoon commanders to make sure they have interesting training programs. And so the first thing that um, Muddy said to me was that, you know, you need to do more parachute because we're in the parachute regiment. I mean, the parachute regiment go parachuting. You think they've never parachuted before when it yeah. comes to manifesting and things. So I established a good relationship with, with the Royal Air Force and the people who do the liaison between ourselves and the, and the Air Force. And we did a huge amount of parachuting. We, we jumped into Egypt. He, he said we'd never jump with live loads, so we jumped live loads into Egypt. He said we never... A live load is carrying your carrying kit? Carrying live ammunition. Wow. So you're jumping live ammunition, so people get a sense of the weight that you're actually going to jump, because you haven't yeah. got much room for anything else, frankly, once you've, yeah. if you jump live loads. Water jumps, we'd never done... So I arranged a water jump in Cyprus for the company. And wow. we jumped, you know, um, and and just do different things. So we did a lot of and and and, uh, and you know we, we were we were in Egypt, we were in Botswana. But that uh, takes a huge amount of organising on your part. Absolutely, extra a huge amount. In the evenings, yes, weekends, planning. And I, but I think I'd been lucky, as I said. I've you know worked as an MA. I'd seen how the army worked as, as MA to command a field. I knew who to talk to. Ah, yeah. The resources are there, but you've got to fight for them. So I spent a lot of time 
Yeah, visiting lobbying. people. Yeah, persuading. Yeah, absolutely. Networking, lobbying. For, for the benefit of the soldiers. So yeah. they had an interesting and challenging life when they're in Aldershot. And then the second thing, so I don't overstate all this, but it is just to um, to invest in people. And, and I and I just realised then, I started to realise, because again, I, I remember being the adjutant, how these things, and this, this young soldier came into the office in two para. He'd been champion recruit and he signed off. So why have you signed off? He said, because no one's interested in me, sir. You know, no one's interviewed me, no one's spoken to me. Yeah. I thought, well, I can't, you know. So, so I spent a lot of time. Did you save him or had he gone? No, he'd gone. I'd yeah. lost him. I was, but I wasn't in his chain of command. I was just the adjutant doing the paperwork, you know. I just, and that, but then that, that, so I spent a lot of time with the soldiers, trying to understand what it is they wanted out of their lives in the army and then trying to do things for them. Hmm. So again, if you talk to B Company in those days, we went away on a lot of courses. I sent soldiers off all over the world on individual courses. Yeah. Um, you know, I put to all the LERPs courses. I did a lot no, of just explain long, long range recce patrol courses in, in Germany, just so they could go there and have, you know, so they feel someone's invested some time in them. Good, so this is very relevant, certainly for the military, but also for leaders uh, in business who've got even two, three, four, five people working for them. Yeah. How would you translate that into, into well, business? So I, say, so I think, so the, the, the thing I've you know, carried on from those times, which was sort of starting those times, is to know your people. And I talk about it all the time because when I was at Sandhurst, I was given a book, you would have been given it as well, Serve to Lead. In it, there's a bit by Field Marshal Slim, and he talks about you've got to know your men. And he goes on to say you've got to know them better than their mothers do. Now, I think in modern parlance, you might say you've got to know your people. And you've got to, and I came to realize and recognize now that everyone is different. And that's an obvious point. But everyone has got emotional, spiritual, physical, moral things inside them that make them up as individuals that mm. is different to the next person. Yeah. And the challenge and the problem in the military is that you look at these, say, all the Toms, all the private soldiers, and they think they're all the same. Yeah. But they're, they're not. not. They're not. And so you get them in and talk to them individually. So you've got a team of people, but all of them need slightly different sticks and carrots applied. Mm. Mm. And there's a very good book I read, you know, a leadership book about, you know, you essentially got four different types of people. There's those that can um, and will, and, and any of those that can't, that won't, and all those. And so essentially, the best you've got can and will, the worst you've got can't and won't. Mm. You spend your time in the middle. So you find some very good people who are really willing to, and you know, to be in the army, but they're just struggling. And you find some people who are very good, but don't want to be there. Yeah. And you spend your, your time trying to shape them to no, stay in the military good. and improve yeah, them. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time in, in investing in individuals, uh, and, and I follow that through the rest of my time in the military to understand the, the team that's working for you. Do you reckon they'll they'll hear this podcast and put a few comments on here? Uh, B I'd, Company? I'd, I'd, love the, I'd love, you know, if anyone B Company 2 Power is listening, you know, come on the net. And, and, <laughs> and a lot of them are already. And, and, and funny, a lot of them are on LinkedIn. And uh, because they've, I actually think that they've, 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 and I look at them, I'm so proud of because so many of them have gone on to do great things. Do you know? Um, and that's the thing of good, inspiring leaders in business too, that one of them said that as CEO, he, he reaches down into the bowels of the organisation, yeah. finds finds people who've got some potential yeah. no one's identified, draws them up and gives them a chance. Yeah. And that's what you do. Well, I think, I, think they've all, I think they all have potential. They just, they just didn't have enough people you know, caring enough about them. Yeah. So, uh, and a lot of them have gone on to do great things outside the military. Some of them have got, you know, stayed in the military and have gone on to senior ranks in the army uh, as early officers. Um, and, uh, and then others have gone in special forces and all sorts. Because I do think that those early days shaping you in the Paris, where it, it was um, both 
demanding physically and mentally, mm. you know, when, when you felt like giving up and, mm. you know, or, or you and I were put in to do milling and, you know, yeah, yeah. Being, I remember they gave me a particularly big guy about six <laughs> foot four and they, they said, he hates officers. Yeah. Oh, I thought, oh, that's great. You yeah. know, they put me in and, and I was battered, yeah. but I just had to hang in there. Yeah. And I think I'm actually a bit brain dead from that time, but, but, but that kind of environment, you were brought up in that. And so I don't think you've forgotten that even now as you're, you know, out there sailing on the, yeah, uh, in yeah. the, the Southern Ocean. Southern Ocean, yeah. I mean, you went from Cape Town. Yeah. Let's just, just talk yeah. us about it. You went from Cape Town all the way across to... Australia, to Fremantle. By to Perth. Fremantle. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that's a Southern hell of a journey. Ocean, yeah. And it is. What and was you learning? And, and how do you apply all that stuff in the early days in the airborne training to then when you're on that boat? So I think, you know, after, I mean, I... Struggled for the first two days when we left. We went straight into a southerly, and it was on our nose. And I was—it took me a couple of days to find my sea legs. Yeah, were you and, throwing up all the time? No, not throwing up all the time. But I was—I I, was—I didn't eat a lot of food because I knew it wouldn't stay down. And I was, you know, feeling queasy. I suppose more than yeah. anything. Yeah. And then suddenly, bang! I was out of it. And I'd had, I'd had that happen to me before, and I knew I would get over it. Uh, and then the physical hardship of what you do is—it is—it's you're on four on four off, six on six off during the day. You're hot bunking. When you get out of your bunk at half past three in the morning to come on the four o'clock watch, you know it, it's quite you know hard because you physically you've got to get out of the bunk and the thing is at forty five degrees, so you're you're clambering over each other in the cold. You're trying to use the head. You're then trying to get all your foul weather clothing on. And I found after a while that I was back in. You know, that's so the military gave me that physical ability to cope with that. It's just like being on a hard exercise. Yeah. You know, and it's and I didn't and I didn't find it. It was cold, but it wasn't it wasn't unbearable. But did others on your crew? Yes, yeah, struggled. They, they struggled. Yeah, and they particularly struggled with the cold. And I think you're just going to get wet. You just got to deal with it. And so that that helped. Um, but, but just playing yeah. back what you just said, yeah. you just got to deal with it, yeah. which is a great attitude to have. But. Many people in business don't don't have had that experience. Just got yeah. to deal with it, well, I think and, and they find it hard. But this is physical, you know. Yeah. In the expression, people say, "Take the suck." You know, you just got to take it and and you know and revel in it and thrive. Yeah. And that's what I think the you know, regiment have taught me a lot about. You know, just deal with it. Yeah. Uh, and be strong in hardship. It's so easy. I mean, I, I used to hate that expression. Anyone would be uncomfortable. Well, you know, there are some times in your life when you, you, you've got to deal with the uncomfortable bit, and you've got to pride yourself in being dealing with uncomfortable. Yeah. And that's what I learned from. And then the other thing. That's, that's I think, your real resilience bit, isn't it? It is resilience. And bouncing back from setbacks, disappointments, Definitely. failures. Definitely. And, you, and you've, you've got to deal with it. Cold, it's, wet. It's not failure so much, it's how you deal with it. It's not being knocked down, it's getting up again. Yeah. Um, but I didn't, you know, so I thought that helped me. But the other thing I want to say is, is that it's a very small crew. It's all about getting on with each other. And did and, you get on well? Yeah, very well. And I think, you know, we Do you think you to... helped with your background? I think so, a bit. Bit I, of a I team mentor? I, I, well, I think a bit. I, I, I certainly have some thoughts for the skipper that I, I, I left him at the end about how to be a stronger. And I think we were a good crew. We were a good crew and we did get on, but you've got to get on with people. Yeah. You can actually teach people to sail. But if you're three and a half weeks on a boat, the only people you see for those three and a half weeks are your crew. Yeah. So that's 18 other pert souls. That's all you saw. Yeah. You know, you, you've got to get on with them. Yeah. And, and I think you learn a lot from the military about that and having, as we talk about EQ, having the sort of ability to understand people and... And I think the thing about the military is that you you, you, you get resilience, you get this banter. Yes. And I think banter is a very difficult word to define. And it, it's not an easy word. It's not an easy thing. And that's I found one of the things I've learned, got to be a bit more careful about how you talk to people. Yeah. 
because I'm just used you to... You used to rib me incessantly. Oh, really rubbish, and I'd rib you. <laughs> but yeah, but you just... It's, it's what, but that was okay. But you sort of expected that. But yeah. I think you do that with some people in business and they'll they'll sue you Absolutely. or they'll take Absolutely. you to HR. You've got to be very careful how you're saying you, yeah, something. And I, have sort of, I, I had this thing about, you know, keep your hoods down and everyone puts their hoods up to, you know, to keep themselves from, from the... And I said, you can't communicate. And I was just like, you know, in the military when we're sailing, I would have said to the soldiers, right, just hoods down, guys, when we're doing an evolution so we can see, hear and listen. Um... So I see, hear, and speak. But but the um, you know I, I, it's it's quite you can't just tell other people to do that. You've got to try and encourage them to think influence about influence and yeah. persuade. Yeah. And this, of course, is uh, and I don't you remember uh, General Robert Baxter? Yes, uh, I do. I yeah, yeah, he was, yeah, I, yeah, I interviewed yeah. him the other day. He was on the uh, uh, Skype call to Scotland, uh, and he was talking about the different phases you go through in life because he was a, a airborne signals yes, guy. Yeah. And, and uh, dived and that kind of stuff, and yeah. still there's diving even now in Scotland in his in his um, retirement. But he was saying the early days, it's follow me, guys, and that's yeah. quite easy. That's the first phase. But then it's it's influence and persuade. But you don't have yeah. direct ability. And then when you get more seniors, you've just been. It's just a little bit of influence and encouragement and being yeah. seen and yeah. thanking yeah. them and appreciating them. But yeah. but you know you're now advising different um, civilian businesses mm. and and you're having to influence and persuade. You can't be follow me absolutely unless you get involved in one of the tech startups and they go yeah. you know you me and three others let's start yeah. it together and then you have to do that i mean I, this might be slightly um i'll be accused of being a heretic and it may be heresy but i'm not 100 percent convinced from what i've now seen that military leadership is easily transposed into civilian mm. environment mm. and i think just as you described that i think military leadership at its best is is designed for the combat environment yeah it's design. It is not designed. It, it is at its strongest. So it's follow me. This, yeah. as you say, do yeah. as I say, do as I do, where as I am, and all of it, of course, is backed up by military law. So, that, so there is a there is a you know, there's a strong uh, stick there to, to, for, for non for nonconformers, um, and I'm just not certain that it, that that is easily transferable no. into an environment where civilian is just as you've described. It is it is persuasion. It is Understanding, encouragement, influence. careful words. It is not effing and blinding and, no, no, no. and, and no, all no. of that. And that, no. that to me, and so I, and I often look at these bookshelves. When I go to bookshelves, I look at and all these people have written their war stories about their times in Basel and Helmand and stuff. Uh, great for them, you know, but don't necessarily believe that your combat experience is going to make you very employable no. outside the military. No, because no, I don't. Right. I just think it's very, very different. I, I think it's the the softer skills. That you've, you've learned your care for the people you're leading, the men and women you're leading, um, being interested in them, as you were saying. And I'm not going to let you get away with the uh, the avoiding the bastard thing because yeah. um, I, I think that's a very interesting shaping part of your life. While people might not have that experience in business, there's people who listen who would be interested. So, so you uh, have not only served in Northern Ireland, you've served in Afghanistan uh, on operational tours, what, what I would call warfare. You were at war, but they wouldn't call it war. And you were at war in Iraq. What in uh, you know, the last couple of minutes yeah. that we've got, what, would, what did you take from those really tough times? Because you were a brigade commander, you were a commanding officer you know, in war. So I think the, the, the brutal thing about combat is losing people. Yeah, uh, and that's what uh, yeah, I think you, people find. I, I've certainly struggled with the most. If I struggle with anything, it is the families, and you you know you make decisions on operations very quickly because you're under pressure, but the consequences can last a lifetime. And we see that still with some of the, the tribunal stuff that's going on in Northern Ireland. You know, yeah. and and, and that, leave that aside. But it's the human side of it that you have to deal with. And 
when I see now families of people who, who died under my command and we talk about it, it's, it's the difficult conversations. Mm. Uh, you know, I think combat is the epitome of, of what the military do and it is the hardest thing you do. And living in that environment and being shot, you know, being under in, in contact is, is, is well, you, you know. Well, you were brigade commander when you were driving along in your um, massive, mildly armoured vehicle, but not yeah. very much. When one of Soleimani's um, provided uh, IEDs, IEDs yeah. blew EFT, up underneath EFT, your EFT, vehicle. EFT. Yeah, it did. It what did. happened? Well, it was, it was, I mean, it couldn't have been worse. It's the day one of the tour, four o'clock in the morning in darkness, going down to on a, on a first visit to, into Basra. And of course, I've been there many times before because I'd done two tours there previously. And now here I was in this armoured vehicle. And thank goodness I had the armoured vehicle, actually, because the EFP, the explosive form projectile, was set for a Land Rover, and, and they just set it slightly too low. So when, it, when they fired it, it, it went off underneath the vehicle. It destroyed the fuel tanks. We had no fuel then, and the whole thing came to a grinding halt, big flash of light. Uh, and then as the dawn came up, we were in the wrong place, and a lot of small arms fire came into us. And um, how many were there of you? I, I don't know. What, was, just one vehicle? Or were no, no, three vehicles, I think. Um, and so I, I wanted to get out and have a look around, and the bodyguards would get back in, you know. <laughs> and I know, and they organised, you know, and we were towed back into camp. So it's a pretty ignorant start to, to the yeah. tour, but that sort of set the tone really in terms yeah. of the challenge of trying to use hard power to deal with a soft power problem. Yeah. Um, but no, so so those experiences live with you. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. It would would say with you. There's so much more we could talk about. Yeah. But but if you were to round up with perhaps uh, another tip or two, what would be your final? So I, 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 you know, I talk about know your people. I think that is fundamental. You, you, if you're forming a team, you've got to understand the people and the motivation that's in that team. I think the second thing which I've always tried to do is be very clear with intent. Clarity of purpose really matters. You know, I think what leaders do is that they have ideas and they have things they want to do to make things better. And we talked about it at some stage this afternoon. You take, anything you take over, you want to leave it in a better state, yeah. the legacy, yeah. Yeah? yeah? So therefore, you're gonna do something to, to make a change, aren't you? Yeah. And transmitting that and explaining it to people is really important. So I've always tried to be very precise, very concise, mm. and very clear about what I want. I don't want any ambiguity about yeah. what I want to do, what I want to change, and why. Very good. Um, I spent a lot of time doing that I think it's important. And then the only other thing I'd, I think I'd, I'd talk about is in big organizations, you'd be surprised how the message gets distorted from top to bottom. Yeah. So you've got this big idea that you explain to your immediate subordinates, but down the bottom, it doesn't get so spend a lot of time also at the office going yeah. down to see the lower levels to see how the message has come down. Because between you and the, and the shop floor, various managerial levels gets are putting their little slant on it. And you need to see that it's going from top to bottom. And I think you know, there are always good people at top, good people at bottom, but sometimes in the middle, are people who perhaps um, not store things. Yeah, just sort of things. So, so I think yeah. spending time with soldiers at the ground for me was very important. James. Hey, Jonathan. Fantastic. Thank you. Great very inspiring. Very as nice always. to catch up with you. Thank well, you. well done for you. What you're doing. It's great. Great series you do. Thank you very much. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed. What are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. 
It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.